Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss all things life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Our partner's spinal cord injuries is what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics is what helped us to create the advocacy group, Wags of SEI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspectives. So join us as we tackle deeper discussions around sex, travel, mental health, self-care, and finding balance as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Wags of SEI podcast. Here we go. We wanted to quickly take a moment to introduce you to our amazing sponsor for this episode, Anchor Medical Supplies. Now, this company is very special to us as it's owned and operated by a quadriplegic. His name is Paul and his wag of SCI, her name is Jessica. They have been married for 22 years and they strive to provide the best service in the industry for catheters and ostomy products. Anchor Medical Supplies is based in Georgia, but work with nationwide Medicare, Medicaid, and many private insurance companies, including Blue Cross and TRICARE. They work with your doctor's office to get prescriptions organized, and they bill insurance directly. They ship discreetly straight to your door without any hassles. They are passionate about advocating for those with disabilities, and most of their staff are individuals who have been affected by paralysis themselves. Their personalized services include monthly check-ins, expert advice, and customized products. This makes them a company we can really rely on and trust. They know that SCI life and understand how important peer support can be. So give Jessica and Paul a call today at 1-833-667-8669, or you can visit their website at anchormedsupplies.com and tell them the WAGs of SCI sent you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wags of SEI podcast. Hello and welcome. It's Brooke and Elena. And we have a very, very special guest today, Maureen McGrath. Hello, Maureen. Hello, ladies. How are you today? We're doing well. We are awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So we're very honored to have Maureen on today because this podcast is going to be focused on sex, 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 sex. <laughs> the big <laughs> the big word on everyone's mind in our community. Right. So just a quick little background. Maureen and I, Elena, have actually met each other previously while we were in rehab. We were just uh, briefly talking about how Maureen's involvement uh, with Dan and I um, and the first thing that she saw. Can you share with us? Uh, that was like a really, really nice memory because I feel like the first year and especially in rehab, I feel like my perspective is so different. I felt like I was literally grasping at straws and just lying there in tears with my partner. But it was really refreshing to hear what Maureen just said. And uh, what did you say? Can you repeat that? Of course. Well, I actually have a beautiful memory of the two of you. When I walked in, you were participating in a clinical trial. And the first time that I met you, you were both in a, a single hospital bed together. Um, very loving toward one another. I just remember how supportive you were. I could feel the love between the two of you and, and that you were going to get through this. And there, there was hope in that bed. There was beauty, there was love. And, uh, yeah, I will never forget. Uh, I can, I can picture it now and I'll, and I'll never forget 
get that. And it's lovely to chat to you today, knowing I knew at the time some of the things that you were facing, maybe you didn't um, or didn't realize, either one of you, um, still so full of hope and and promise. And and that does exist. Uh, So I knew there would be challenges. And yet uh, that's not my memory. My memory is, you know, how how caring you were toward one another and how deeply supportive you were of Dan and, and what a lovely couple you were. So. That's so sweet because like I said, like the, and this is goes out to everybody um, listening today who's in probably or possibly their first year. Um, the first year is a whirlwind. <laughs> I can definitely say that. Yes. I think Brooke agrees with that. Um, you know, and I, we constantly get messages from other spouses and women going through the process saying, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. So thank you so much for reminding me that, um, I did see that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was within the first 10 days after Dan's injury that I met you because that was part of the inclusion criteria. So it was very early on. Wow. Isn't that insane? Yeah, and I look back at my experience at GF Strong, which is the rehab center in Vancouver. Both Elena and I's partners were both in there about a year and a half apart. And I remember back to the first 10 days, and I don't even, I don't even remember a damn thing about the first 10 days. Right. It was so mm. crazy. So moving yeah. forward, Maureen, yeah. we just wanted to introduce you quickly, officially, to our, um, our listeners today. So these are Maureen's credentials. This is who she is. Maureen McGrath, she's a registered nurse, and she's a nurse continence advisor and sexual health educator. She actually has her own show, her own radio show here in Vancouver, and it's on CKNW on Sunday nights. And she also plays that show on various stations in North America. She's very used to being on air and talking frankly about sex. Um, She's also a researcher, so she's done fairly extensive research into the field of spinal cord injury, bladder, bowel and sexual health, all the fun stuff. Right. <laughs> so her website is maureenmcgrath.com if you want to check it out. We'll say that again at the end of the podcast, but we just wanted to introduce her to you guys. Maureen, do you want to tell everybody um, who's listening about who you are? Who is Maureen? How did she start in this industry? <laughs> How did she start? You know, um, very interesting. I, I was working at another uh, position and, and you know, this is another podcast, but I was actually bullied. And so I left that position and I started working with a physician who was a, uh, an obstetrician gynecologist. And he asked me to come into his practice and help him out with the, uh, in women who were experiencing bladder issues. And so that's when I went back to school and, and got training in nurse continence advisor, got certification through McMaster university. And at about the same time, I met a physician, uh, at, you know, I tell it like it is at a cookie exchange <laughs> at Christmas <Wow>. and um, <laughs> that I wasn't supposed to go to. But nonetheless, I went with my cookies in hand and I met this physician and she had some grant funding uh, to do some clinical trials around electroejaculation and vibro stimulation for to ejaculation for men with spinal cord injury. And it was a study around autonomic dysreflexia. Mm. Um, so the life-threatening increases in blood pressure. And so I started working there as well. And I realized that the people who were having sexual health problems were also having bladder health problems. People having bladder health problems were also having sexual health problems. So I kind of married them all together and uh, started the focus in on bladder, bowel, and, and sexual health. And, and I've been uh, 
doing a fair bit of research in that field ever since. And I also have a clinical practice. So I see uh, patients uh, from all walks of life, many of whom have spinal cord injury. And, and as I said, I have, uh, you know, run a lot of the clinical trials or, um, you know, co-authored some of the papers on spinal cord injury as it relates to those quality of life issues. Amazing. And our community, it's a topic that not many people have a lot of resources in. So that's why we're so excited to have you on because we have a lot of listeners who are in the States. um, And from what we've gathered, they don't have resources like this in the States unless they're close to, you know, hospitals that do, but there's very few and far between. Or, of course, like paid paid care and resources too, right? So this information is very valuable. We discuss bowels and bladder and sex (laughs) every single day. And it's funny because our partners are like, oh my God, please don't have another talk about bowels and bladder. And so we always laugh. We always say that we're going to get tattoos, one of a bowel, the other one of a bladder, maybe a penis or something. Who knows? Yeah, we're pretty open about this stuff. And so you have a sex show on CKNW um, on Sunday nights, correct? I, I do. It's actually now, it's called the health show. I mean, oh. to be honest with you, when it expanded to the prairies and Western Canada, <laughs> yeah. they changed the name from the Sunday night sex show to the Sunday night health show. You know, it just underscores that, uh, you know, sex is still taboo, even though we're in this highly sexualized world. Um, it's still a, a secret subject and sh- shrouded in shame, most yeah. unfortunately, because I see it as a, as a medical issue. So it's, it's really called the Sunday night health show, but I, I, uncover what lies beneath the covers. Oftentimes there's nothing that's lying beneath the covers, but um, that we need to uncover that too. Um, but a lot of people have, uh, you know, desire and, and want to improve their sex lives or if medical conditions occur as well. So I, I cover a lot that is related to sex and sexuality. And I do want to say that I've learned the most from my patients. And so I can never thank them enough um, because I've really learned so much about their quality of life, about what issues they face, what, um, you know, the joys, the heartbreaks, the um, the challenges, the struggles from them. And so to them, I owe a great uh, gratitude, tremendous gratitude, a great honor. And I bow to those people who have shared their stories uh, in such a sensitive subject. Incredible. Very good point, right? And how do you learn about life? Um, it's through experience. Literally, the more the more you deal with something, the more knowledge you gain from that, right? Absolutely. When people have the grace to share their stories, they empower others. And so I, I'm only a conduit um, for those people who've had that grace to share their stories and be so generous of heart, especially in you know what seems to be at the time such a tragedy. Um, when, when faced with a spinal cord injury. But, you know, I, I, I've also learned um, so much from people. I remember one gentleman, I went to visit him um, after his spinal cord injury, and he was meant to go to a Canucks game, a hockey game that night, and it was the playoffs. And he couldn't go because his injury was five days old. And I felt so badly that he was going to miss out on the Canucks game. And he said, don't worry about it, Maureen. He said, you know, I, my life was so crazy. I was always fast-paced. And he said, you know, the other day I just watched a leaf blow in the wind on a tree. And he's like, you know, even in the short time since my injury, I've realized I've appreciated life so much more. And so, you know, there are so many gifts that people get in in dark times. Um, And that's the only time that the stars come out, you know, at night. So, you know what, and we speak about this all the time that after a partner's injuries, the things that used to matter really don't matter anymore. And the little things, like you said, that that leaf blowing and being cognizant and aware and mindful of appreciating that becomes really, really huge. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a major, we always talk about it as one of the great benefits to such a tragedy happening is you notice the little things, you appreciate the little things, and you just, you see things in a different lens. And that's partially why we started this podcast is we feel like that's so important in our community and there's not really a voice for that. There's, mm-hmm. you know, voices, there's voices for dealing with these, the stuff that comes along with a spinal cord injury, but we want to really expose the other things, how to deal with the beautiful things in life that you can now see differently. The important things that you've been given an opportunity to see differently. And this is amazing. This is why we're so happy to have you on just because in our community, um, there's still a lot of taboos like you were talking about earlier um there's taboos in not in the community but in our community still sex is not discussed enough and it's a huge mystery and i would say the number one question we get through direct messages and emails and on our private groups is how do we have sex again how do we start how do we do this what positions are best who who's going to give me some answers because they're just there it isn't discussed openly um especially from the perspective of a caregiver so we wanted to get into some questions that our followers have asked us to ask you. Um, So what we did is we put out a message on Instagram and we asked our followers, hey, you know, we're interviewing Maureen. Is there anything that you want to know? So we've gathered some questions for you, Maureen, and feel free to get as juicy as possible, please, because this is definitely... I will. Okay. (laughs) Or as Maureen said, as deep as we want to go. So... (laughs) The first question we have here for you, Maureen, is what are the best tips and tricks and advice to find sexual fulfillment if your partner with an SEI has no physical sensation? You know, as we said, spinal cord injury presents major challenges to a multitude of bodily functions, uh, especially when it's below the level of injury. And so, again, bladder, bowel function, and your sexual function. And so one of the most common questions I get um, from many men um, is about erections. Um, And so, you know, let's start there. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's a big question. That first question. It is a big question. And this is really complex and it's, it's related to so much. And, and, you know, sometimes you have to uh, once, when you start to have sex after a spinal cord injury, it's almost like having sex for the very first time all over again. It is. Um, that said, you may meet somebody, you may fall in love with somebody who has a spinal cord injury. And so again, it's, you know, it's starting that exploration. It's that fear, it's the anxiety, it's all of that. Um, so it's a good way to think of it, but you know, before a spinal cord injury, men get erections in three ways. Um, so psychogenic, that means that you think of something, a fantasy or something or someone that you find attractive, the erection comes from sights and sounds or anything that's arousing to you. Uh, maybe you're thinking back on the time when you were with somebody or uh, somebody that you were in love with or attracted to, or you're watching a movie. And so those are the psychogenic um, ones. And, you know, looking at a magazine um, online, um, erections occur. The other type is reflexogenic or reflex erections. And this is typically the direct result of physical touch or stimulation to your penis. So stroking, caressing, suckling, 
spontaneous. So these are kind of the nocturnal erections, the erections that occur at night. Um, and so this is from some type of internal stimulation that occurs. And so after a spinal cord injury, men may get erections in one of three ways. And so psychogenic, um, having an erection by thinking about something may not work so well uh, as it did before. And that's because the area of the spinal cord responsible for erections is located between T11 and L2, so thoracic 11 and lumbar 2, where you are on your spinal cord injury, where on your spine, spinal column, and where your injury occurred. So if your S, if your SCI level is above this, the message or those sexy thoughts from your brain can't get through to the damaged part of your spinal cord. The reflex erection. So some men with spinal cord injury may still get an erection. For example, like in a hospital, it's very common if a catheter is being changed or when their penis is being wiped, you know, by a nurse, it can be highly embarrassing or just by pulling clothes over um, right. your body. So any kind of stimulation to the penis may produce an erection, even if you didn't want this to happen. And this is one of the problems or um, it can actually be one of the benefits as well. Uh, so it's important to pay close attention to what causes an erection because that can be useful for you in the future. So reflex erections are actually um, quite hopeful types of erections for men. And some men still will get a, a spontaneous erection um, after they've had a spinal cord injury when their bladder is full, for example. So this is something else you want to pay attention to as well, because depending on how long the erection lasts will help you to, de to determine its usefulness for sexual activity. One thing you have to be concerned about with sexual activity is autonomic dysreflexia. This is a life-threatening increase in blood pressure that can, can occur um, when the injury is above level T6 or when um, the, it develops in individuals that have a neurological level of spinal injury at or above T6 or the sixth thoracic vertebrae level. Mm -hmm. um, and so the AD, it's not often taught or autonomic dysreflexia, not often educated or people don't absorb it or physicians in emergency rooms may not understand it. So I think autonomic dysreflexia is one of the most important things that um, people need to learn about after spinal cord injury because it, it uh, results in an imbalanced reflex sympathetic discharge. And so uh, your blood pressure can soar to life-threatening levels. And so this can occur with a full bladder. Um, it can occur during sex. And so it's important to understand. And, and there are symptoms that, that go along with it, like goosebumps and mm -hmm. pounding headache and, and heart rate. And so it's this acute, uncontrolled hypertension. There's also something called silent autonomic dysreflexia, where the mm -hmm. blood pressure can triple um, and people have no symptoms. So ejaculation is important because uh, according to some clinical trials, um, the more you ejaculate, uh, the more you, you know, have erections and ejaculate, uh, and ejaculation is an issue for men with spinal cord inju injury as well. Um, but the more that happens, uh, the less likely you are to have autonomic dysreflexia. So hmm. once again, sex is good for you. I didn't know that. That's <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's really important to understand that, um, that part of it. And so that's why 
with um, sex uh, after spinal cord injury, it's important to know your body, understand how you're feeling, what is happening, what would cause a reflex erection, um, what positions are helpful. Um, you know, with autonomic dysreflexia, if somebody is starting to feel those symptoms, uh, it's good to withdraw the whatever it is that is leading to um, yes. that feeling. What are what are your thoughts on incorporating a blood pressure cuff into the sexual experience? Um, no. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so just monitor. Not. I, okay. Okay. It may kill the moment. I was going to say. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you're probably focused yes. on constantly looking to see yeah. what's going on, right? Right. Right. And so the, it's not recommended. And so the, these are done under um, clinical situations and, and typically in clinical trials. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it's very important to know your body and to know what symptoms and to go to the emergency department. Also have a good rapport with your physician and, mm-hmm. and monitor your blood pressure. Typically blood pressure drops um, after spinal cord injury yeah. for um, uh, people who have yeah. experienced spinal cord injury. So, um, it's just a good idea to have, to, you know, lead a healthy life, nutrition, exercise, um, all very important and to watch one's blood pressure. Perfect. And it all kind of plays together. Yeah. It does all play together. And so in terms of positioning, which I think was part of your question, you know, this is the time you bring in, you know, pillows and perhaps swings. And, you know, and this is part of that explore, exploratory aspect or the new exploration, having sex all, all over again for the very first time. What works? What feels good? What's effective? Uh, how do I feel? Um, you know, am I comfortable with this? Is this, you know, the sex always must be consensual mm-hmm. and mutual. Mm-hmm. Got to um, make sure uh, we remember that, um, you know, sexual desire is is important to understand as well for, for men and for women that the sexual desire doesn't always come first. And, and whether you're able-bodied or with a spinal cord injury, you know what, you got to plan sex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people have this idea that it's going to be spontaneous and, mm-hmm. and there can be a spontaneous component to it, but, mm-hmm. but there's some more planning perhaps involved. Um, and so positions, um, it's largely what makes you feel good and your partner feel good, symptom free, um, you know, and and yeah, it's it's going to be a time to be in good shape, for example, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. because yes. especially when you have a, uh, a quad partner and um, normally you have to be on top. Right. So you have to. Yes. You have to have really good thighs, really good glutes. Right. We Elena? were literally just talking about <laughs> this this morning. We're like. You have to feel sexy, right? That's step one is being confident in yourself and your mm-hmm. body and how you're feeling. And and none of those issues go away because your partner has a spinal cord injury. It's very important, especially for women in a relationship with a man who has a spinal cord injury, to, you know, to feel good about their body, to feel, mm-hmm. have sexual self-esteem, uh, to not be tired. And this is such an issue for uh, women who act as the caregiver yes. and the lover yes, to lover or the wife um, or spouse or partner to somebody with spinal cord injury because fatigue is the number one reason for low sexual desire mm-hmm. in men and women. Um, yes. But, you know, since we're talking about women and girlfriends of um, men with spinal cord injury, mm-hmm. you know, it's really both both people in the couple need mm-hmm. to take care of themselves. And we always we always talk to women in our community about um, sex and about how a lot of 
I'm glad you brought this up because a lot of women are like, I just don't have the time to do this. Like, I just, I'm so tired when I put him to bed. All I want to do is just crawl up and go to sleep. And usually what we say is, you know, you don't have to have sex only at night. I mean, you can figure out what works best for you. Like, I always talk openly Mm -hmm. with Elena about how my husband and I, we always do our sexual activity in the shower in the morning as part of the routine. And we kind of separate Mm -hmm. it and make it romantic and do like candles and that kind of stuff. Not every day, obviously, but not every day, but it's, it's about making it work for you. Mm-hmm. I also liked what you said um, earlier about <clears throat> how it doesn't really have anything to do with spinal cord injury and the planning, um, because I know mm-hmm. couples and it, it, it's, it's fairly common to have after a few years with the same person have to plan and work on your sex life. It doesn't matter if that person has a spinal cord injury, right? It's Uh Mm able-bodied couples are the same. It fades after time and it's effort. So it it certainly is. It's effort for all couples. And, and somehow women have been given this message that desire comes first. And that's probably related to the sexual health research done by Masters and Johnson in the fifties. But we have some more recent research that uh, sexual desire is actually responsive. And so whether you feel like having sex or not, as long as you're in a loving and mutual relationship and you accept your partner's advances and you enjoy it, and there's no other issues going on like vaginal dryness or painful sex or vaginismus or any of those issues, and you do enjoy it, we call that responsive desire. It's a biopsychosocial model developed by Dr. Rosemary Besson here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Wow. Amazing. That's really cool. You have so, so much knowledge. We're so excited <laughs> to have you here today. I know. We're just like, oh, I want to ask this question. That question. Just, <laughs> we're like, oh. We haven't even gotten to ejaculation yet, but oh, that's no. another important yeah, yeah. aspect. I, I was going to say, yeah. Do you, Well, we have one more thing before we kind of move on from talking about this question is a lot of the men in our community message us talking about how in confidence obviously how they feel that sex is over because they can't feel anything um, below their level of injury and then we get a lot lot of messages from women saying well he can't feel below his level of injury so it's not enjoying like I'm not enjoying it like I Mm -hmm. used to what is your response Mm -hmm. to that you know, that's, again, that exploration aspect. There, we're so used to genital sex, and that's the one, and that's the holy grail, and that's the be-all, end-all. But as human beings, we have erogenous zones all over our body, and areas that uh, may not have been affected by mm-hmm. uh, the spinal cord injury, depending on the level and degree of completeness. Mm-hmm. Um, also, never forget that the brain is the largest sex organ. And so, um, you know, their fantasy is very important. Um, it's, so it's, it's may in fact be different. Um, but it can certainly be as pleasurable and sex is not over after a spinal cord injury. Um, you know, sexuality encompasses the feelings, the attitudes and and the behaviors that contribute to a person's sense of, of themselves, of being a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And so it's that sort of natural extension of, of tenderness and caressing and affection and, and companionship between uh, people. So it, it's not usually what people think of as sex. People think of penetration as, as sex. And so it is broadening one's idea um, or yeah. thoughts or beliefs or values about what sex is. Um, 
And so, you know, yes, spinal cord injury will affect sexual function. There are physical changes. The orgasms may be different. Um, you know, the satisfaction of the partner um, may or may not be the same. Um, and, you know, even functional things like if somebody has a catheter or, or if somebody has accidents. Um, so there's lots, uh, lots to do. But um, in terms of the, the physical act isn't all that defines your sexuality. So, you know, it, it's, it's you, it's how you speak to somebody. It's how, so turning somebody on, uh, even though somebody may have limited hand function, you know, they can turn somebody on with their words, mm-hmm. um, you know, with their ideas and thoughts and bringing fantasy into the bedroom, um, bringing in different foods and, um, you know, and really exploring in different ways. And so, you know, sex can be actually even more enjoyable, putting so much more effort into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the physical act of sex, you know, still may be there and, um, it just may be different, but it's really about intimacy and, and we can't forget how intimacy plays a role as well. So, you know, there are changes, I'm not going to lie, um, but it certainly can be um, as intimate and pleasurable for, for both parties. Very, very good points. And again, Brooke and I were kind of talking about something similar this morning about how when you have your partner, you have to, you know, you have to be a nice person. Usually people want to have sex with nice people, somebody who treats them well, who can communicate well, somebody who can make you feel good or else if you're in a relationship to begin with where you're not having those needs um, met, then you're most likely not going to want to plan sex. Mm-hmm. That is that is so important, whether you're able-bodied or not, you know, um, and and so the having that respect in the relationship, being kind, being curious, um, emotional connection, so being feeling close to somebody, you know, also how you think about yourself. It's important for people after they've had a spinal cord injury to, you know, you're going to go through the grieving process, um, but at the end of the day, you're going to come back to being the person that you are, you know, that sexual being that you are and, you know, how you think and feel about yourself. One thing I've learned from uh, my patients was that I expected everybody who had a spinal cord injury to be depressed. And that wasn't the case. And in fact, the very, one of the very first, um, sexual health research studies that I did, uh, was around, uh, there was a question around depression and being on medication. And, and most of them said, you know, I'm talking 95% of them mm-hmm. said, you know, right after the injury, I was on an antidepressant, but you know, I didn't need it after a year, year and a half kind of a thing. And, and they'd been 10 years out, 15 years out, these uh, gentlemen. And I realized that they, they go back to their baseline personality. You know, they're, yeah. they are who they are you know, and and that doesn't change. Um, you know, how you think and feel about yourself and your desires, especially for the opposite sex or same sex or both, that doesn't change. You may go through some, you know, some issues and, you know, upset and, and feelings of, you know, grief, um, you know, disbelief and anger and, but, but eventually you go back to who you are. And it's really important to just be the best that you can be and be in a very respectful relationship. I'm glad that you brought that up because we have a lot, like I said before, we have a lot of single um, men with SCI that email us and message us on our various social platforms talking about how, 
you know, asking us tips. How do I get out there? Who's going to love me again? What do I do? How am I going to find a new wife or a girlfriend after this? I'm devastated. And the first thing we always tell them is we always say, all you can do is be your very best self and work on yourself. I think our mm-hmm. pages have proven, you know, time and time again, that it doesn't matter if you have a spinal cord injury, you can still find love. 50% of our couples met after the injury. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's all about working on yourself and being that that sexual being and being that the best version of yourself possible. So- exactly. And was. With spinal cord injury, uh, you know, people lose movement, and and a lot of people I don't think realize that I think the lay population doesn't realize that people lose sensation, right. but the fact that you lose movement and or sensation and varying degrees of each of those, it does not change the fact that you are a desirable sexual being and you are more likely to feel desirable and want to express your sexuality if you know your body feel comfortable with yourself have self-confidence and you understand and you know your personal identity and and so you know dating is the same before as it is after your injury because you are you and somebody is going to be attracted to and love you. And so just like, I mean, I had a woman 48 years old. She said, I can't meet a guy. She was able-bodied. I can't meet a guy. And, um, what should I do? Should I see a male prostitute? You know, I'm tired of the online thing. And, and I said to her, what I would say to somebody with spinal cord injury, you increase your opportunities to meet people by making yourself available Mm -hmm. to meet them. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be online dating or it might be getting out and going to a political event where Mm -hmm. there seem to be tons of people (laughs) at, Um, you know, doing you pretty much. Yeah. Being you absolutely do you be you. It's just as important after an injury as it was before your injury, uh, to get out there and, you know, try to meet people because the, you know, as one of the famous basketball players said, the more shots you take, the more likely to get it, you are to get a basket. And so that's the thing, you know, dating might be different. You'll probably be asked about your injury, how you manage daily activities. Nobody is going to think of bladder and bowel on the first date. So don't worry about that. (laughs) And, you know, have your answers ready. Uh, be ready to respond in a way that's comfortable for you. So don't go into your bladder and bowel stuff on day one, <laughs> the first date. Um, and, you know, you you also might need to balance your dating schedule with your caregiver's schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you need to also set up if you're living at home and, you know, have family members, maybe you also need to talk about what that's going to look like about bringing a date home. But, you know, be the best you you can certainly meet um, somebody. Very, very well said. So speaking of bladder and bowel, (laughs) we're back (laughs) to the topics. Yeah. Such a sexy subject. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So our next uh, question we actually have from one of our followers is how to prevent UTIs in men with SCI. Okay, so UTI, urinary tract infection, it's an infection in your urinary system. And so this includes one's kidneys, ureters, bladder, and urethra. And the most common cause of the urinary tract infection is when bacteria enter the bladder through your urethra. For men, it takes a little longer because their urethra is a bit longer. Mm -hmm. But when you have a spinal cord injury, you're at greater risk as a man. Um, And also, once the bacteria gets into your bladder, it can multiply. And then it becomes um, a urinary tract infection. So these little bacteria, which are actually tiny living organisms um, that are in your body, we have good bacteria and we have bad bacteria. 
Uh, and so the bad bacteria is what causes the infections and that makes you sick. Um, so there are more common reasons that people develop spinal cord injury with UTIs. And so that will help with determine, um, you know, prevention. Um, most people lose what we call normal urinary function after spinal cord injury. The bladder basically stores and empties and that's it. But because of the damage to the nerves, that storing and emptying function um, can be lost. So many people need a bladder management option to empty the urine from their bladder to keep their bladder and their kidneys he healthy. So sometimes it's a condom catheter, sometimes it's a um, intermittent self catheterizations are done to empty the bladder. Um, and so most bladder management options make it easier for bacteria to enter the bladder through the urethra, which is unfortunate. Um, so the also many people lose normal bowel function after spinal cord injury. And so contact with the stool is common during bowel management. Um, and stool has bacteria in it, and that can lead to a urinary tract infection. Right. So once the bacteria are hard or in the bacteria, it's very hard to get rid of them. So um, the so spinal cord injured people do have a higher risk than normal. Women have a higher risk than normal for men because their urethra is smaller. So probably the number one thing that I can say and um, about uh, urinary tract infection is hand hygiene. Mm -hmm. Wash your hands before and after you go to the bathroom. Now, because I'm in healthcare, <laughs> I wash my hands before I go to the bathroom. I've made that a practice my entire life. And so um, before and after is a good idea for people with um, spinal cord injury. So also prevent your bladder from getting too full. That's another tip. So you want to empty your bladder when necessary and empty it completely each time. Mm. And this helps to reduce your chances of developing two common problems that increase the risk of a urinary tract infection. And that is when the bladder gets over distended. And we hear about that like nurse's bladder, nurses who don't go to the bathroom for eight hours, they get an over distended bladder, your bladder becomes stretched too much when it holds too much urine. And so your bladder wall um, is damaged and forces the urine back into your ureters and kidneys. So you emptying, keeping the bladder empty is critical. And also bladder uh, or kidney stones. And that's caused from excess sediment and calcium in your urine. And so that can form into stones uh, that can restrict your flow of urine and prevent you from um, from emptying your bladder. It's also important to get plenty of water. This is counterintuitive. Many people believe that uh, if I if I don't drink anything, then I won't leak urine. It, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in a neurogenic bladder because the neurogenic bladder has a mind of its own. A lot of bladders have a mind of <laughs> yes, their own, whether they are able-bodied or not. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to get plenty of water. Your body needs a certain amount of water to keep the urine clear 90% of the time and also to stay hydrated and healthy. And so drinking water helps you to flush out bacteria from your bladder and it helps uh, you with stool. So you're actually going to evacuate your bowels better as well. It helps you to maintain a better body temperature and uh, you know some other benefits as well. So um, it's important to, to drink water, um, wash your hands, make sure your bladder is empty, um, staying clean is important. And a lot of people believe that cranberries help to prevent UTIs. There are natural supplements 
you want to make sure that you get the um, one that has the um, correct nut 36 milligrams of PACs um, that will actually uh, be beneficial. So if you find that cranberries help you to prevent UTIs, by all means, take that natural supplement. And in the form of a pill, you don't get the sugar content that is in many of the cranberry juices. So, right. But the research is mixed on the benefits of cranberries. Um, okay. But if it does help, definitely take it. And always be aware of signs of infection and try to treat that as early as possible. So if you have a greedy sediment in your urine or if you have um, cloudy or you know, foul-smelling urine as well, mm-hmm. um, so you want to, you know, of course, some of the other things that contribute to UTIs are like, unfortunately, everything good is bad, like sugar, <laughs> caffeine, mm-hmm. alcohol, um, citrus, spicy foods. Um, so those all can contribute as well. But you, you want to drink, you know, you don't want to stop, you know, your life basically. And you, mm-hmm. you got to have fun mm-hmm. in life. So drinking more water helps to wash out some of the bacteria as well. And if you're doing intermittent catheterization, you're finding you get UTIs do it more often. Um, And if you're using an indwelling catheter, then change it. Mm -hmm. Consider changing it again after the early signs of infection have gone away. And, you know, and of course this raises antibiotics. Should I take antibiotics to prevent a urinary tract infection? Not necessarily and and not usually Mm -hmm. because antibiotics can also change the the microbiomes and and they can actually make you more resistant. But but sometimes people need to um, take low dose daily Um, In fact, women with SCI are often prescribed antibiotics to prevent UTI during pregnancy, for example. So know the symptoms, fever, chill, nausea, headache, feeling tired, changes in muscle spasms, um, dark or cloudy urine, as I mentioned, lower back pain if you have um, sensation, and and autonomic dysreflexia is also um, a sign if your injury is above T6. I'm glad you mentioned that about the microbiome because that's where a lot of research in the, in actually Western medicine is going, surprisingly. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people in our community, especially the caregivers, are just so quick to just be like, oh, he needs antibiotics mm-hmm. at the very first sign. And that's when right. the resistance builds up, right? So I'm really glad that's you right. mentioned that. Um, and you become resistant to all antibiotics. So you yeah. know, really important, again, know your body, drink a lot of water, You know, beware, uh, stay healthy. Yeah. It's very important as well. Yes. And we had another question um, from one of our followers about suprapubic catheters um, and how to prevent bladder infections if you have a suprapubic catheter. Absolutely. And and again, um, hand hygiene, um, you know, understand how to care for it to help avoid uh, problems such as urinary tract infection. Speak to your doctor, get any of your questions answered. Keep the catheter clean, thorough hand washing, again, before and after touching the catheter is vital. Oh, and I just want to mention that you have to use soap in order to wash your hands. I can't tell you how many people I've seen just like in the bathroom, like in a public washroom, and they're just using the water. Uh It doesn't work, so you have to use soap you know, warm-ish water Mm -hmm. and, you know, 60 seconds of washing. So, you know, being mindful. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, there's also steps, you know, when you're changing the catheter, uh, using lubricant on the tube, making sure that the device is emptying properly. uh, And, you know, you may need a new bag and then that can prevent uh, urinary tract infection as well. Mm -hmm. If you're just new to this, uh, going home, you may go home with a wound dressing that may may need to be kept in place until the wound has healed. And so again, very careful um, in dealing with that. Wash your hands before and after. Um, Typically, people should not take baths or hot tubs when they 
may have a suprapubic catheter, mm-hmm. um, understand the signs of an infection, and so redness or tenderness around that wound, or mm-hmm. um, you know, urgency uh, is another one, or pain um, with the suprapubic catheter, or fever as well. Um, so, but really washing hands with soap and water for you know, 30 to 60 seconds before and after, changing, emptying, or handling the catheter um, will be extremely helpful. And a lot of people prefer suprapubic catheters over urethral catheters, but um, they, there is, and they, and you need to really pay attention to cleanliness. Yeah. Do you have a a preference or an argument for or against antibacterial soaps or is just any soap? Okay. I am, I'm not a fan of antibacterial soaps and they're coming out with some evidence that, that, that is actually altering the, um, biome and also, um, you know, increasing resistance. So, you know, we've, we've gotten to a world where, you know, we have to be reasonable, reasonable about hygiene and, you know, not obsessive and not, you know, fall prey to the marketing mm-hmm. of uh, many companies. And so good old soap and water works just fine. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. If, so do you want to, do you want to get to the um, <clears throat> ejaculation side of things? The goodies ejaculation which changes for sure (laughs) um (laughs) after as you ladies probably know um you know ejaculation can change uh so much after um spinal cord injury and and many um men you know will be surprised by that um and many uh women as well and maybe not really understanding um, the change to the ejaculation and many people, many men may not ejaculate or may ejaculate a lot less. Mm -hmm. And, and so this really comes into play in terms of, um, it can increase, uh, urinary tract infections, but it also, um, you know, one of the biggest questions I have from people, lay people or people with spinal cord injury is around fertility after SCI. You know, it's possible for sure for men with spinal cord injury to father children through intercourse. Um, some may struggle, but it's also in terms of, um, being related to that uh, ejaculation or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's also retrograde ejaculation, which, which occurs as well. And, um, many men, uh, will experience retrograde ejaculation where the ejaculate, because there's been damage to the bladder neck, the ejaculate will actually go backwards into the bladder, mm-hmm. um, instead of coming out. And that's um, fairly common in the community, right? Very, very common. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and because there's in, there's typically damage to those nerves, um, that control the bladder and that control ejaculation because ejaculation is far more complex than, than erection. Retrograde ejaculation isn't harmful and it really only requires treatment if you are attempting to have a child or start a family. Mm -hmm. Um, but you want to make sure that, um, if you are having dry orgasms, you know, just have that conversation Mm -hmm. with your, with your doctor. Um, there's a number of reasons that, that the muscle, um, that closes the bladder during ejaculation doesn't close. And so one of them is, um, spinal cord injury, but it can also be caused by a medical condition like diabetes or Mm -hmm. multiple cirrhosis, or some of the medications to treat hypertension, um, can also cause that as well. And of course, bladder neck surgery, uh, can cause that also, but, but spinal cord injury is a big risk factor for retrograde ejaculation. And, 
you know, it can be less pleasurable of an orgasm because of worries about absent ejaculate. And, you know, and it, and it feels different um, if people have that still have feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, some people with a spinal cord injury will, depending on this, again, the level and the completeness, whether it's complete or an incomplete injury. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's important to be, to have a diagnosis and it's important to have treatment and maybe medications that may mm-hmm. help, um, uh, imipramine or midrodine are a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and also infertility treatment is something that um, one needs to consider if you have retrograde ejaculation, you'll likely need treatment to um, impregnate a woman. Um, so you need enough ejaculate, or to you, know, you need ejaculate enough and it with, that contains enough semen to carry your sperm. And, and many men's uh, sperm is damaged after spinal cord injury right. as well. So what are some of your best ways to, if you're just starting out in your journey trying to ejaculate or trying to help your partner ejaculate, what are some top ways you'd recommend to do that? Well, you know, it really depends on um, the damage, you know, the the type of injury that a person has. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you actually, you may not be able to do anything, but you may need um, assisted reproductive technology in order to get um, to collect enough sperm so electro ejaculation or sperm retrieval um, so the sperm can and many times be recovered from the the bladder and processed in the laboratory and and used to um, get your uh, wife or girlfriend pregnant so um, so this really requires more often than not, uh, more advanced assistive reproductive techniques. Um, so once, and so it's really important if, if after a year, maybe even six months, you know, if you've been trying and maybe there's been a little bit of ejaculate or if there's been none, you know, it's really important to, um, get fertility consults. And we will tell um, our listeners that Elaine and I, we did do a YouTube video too. Yeah, a couple, a couple of them on actually, like we, we kind of demonstrated on a dildo, the processes (laughs) to try at home. (laughs) I don't know Uh, if you've seen that, Maureen, uh... but... I have it, but I will. Oh my gosh, please do. We we use all sorts of devices and things, and we collected the data and the information from the sexual health team at the Blueson Center there. Um, mm-hmm. So that was very, very helpful. The first video was done in our car because we were so new to this and so shy. And like you said, sex is such a taboo topic that we were kind of hiding in my car and giving all this information to our listeners. Um, but now... Now that we have our podcast, we will sing yeah. whatever we wish. Yeah, so we mm-hmm. want so there's another question that we have um, surrounding maintaining erections and also tying right. into what are some of the best cock rings to try to maintain right. tips in general well, maintaining erections. Yes. Mm-hmm. Erectile dysfunction, the definition of erectile dysfunction, and it's it's not limited to people with spinal cord injury, let me tell you, um, is the <laughs> inability to attain and or maintain an erection adequate for penetrative sex. So although men with spinal cord injury and able-bodied men may get an erection, they may not be able to keep it. And so that can lead to dissatisfying sex. And so erectile dysfunction is very common after spinal cord injury. And um, so there's lots of different treatments for um, erectile dysfunction that, and, you know, I can't stress nutrition enough Mm. because it's about blood flow. And so anything that helps the blood to 
flow better. So cutting down on sugar and alcohol and you know, just eating healthily will actually, anything that decreases inflammation for anybody um, is very helpful. Exercise as well is very helpful for men with spinal cord injury to maintain um, you know, good health. So that's just as the basis. But there's so many treatments for um, erectile dysfunction for men, um, for example, oral medications, they're probably the most frequently used option to treat erectile dysfunction after spinal cord injury. They do have some side effects, of course. There's many different types available. If one doesn't work, try the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you're going to try it five or six times to see mm-hmm. if it's actually going to work for you. Okay. Uh, another option that uh, men, a lot of men really like is the vacuum therapy, mm-hmm. yes. which is um, non-invasive, drug-free, and the vacuum works by drawing blood into the penis using a handheld pump and they can be battery operated or, you know, the partner can, um, do help with that. And that can actually be arousing and, you know, kind of a, it can, you can turn that into a, a sexual activity. It is. And then you put on that, a, a, a penile ring or a constriction band to maintain the erection for the intercourse. And so, you know, which is better is actually, uh, up to the couple themselves. It's really a personal preference, whether it's vibrating or whether it's just a band or um, okay. without the vibration. And so somebody may enjoy that. As far as vibrating. Oh, no, okay. as long as you don't keep it on for longer than 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. Um, so it needs to come off after that. I also, uh, I also wanted to make a note that... Um, the kind of vacuum pump that you're talking about, it's an actual medical device. It's not like <laughs> the vacuum, the, the Austin Powers. It's not like pump. the vacuum cleaner. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> things might fall off. It's been known. <laughs> <laughs> it is a device that's ordered. They're not easy. They're not that easy to get, quite no. frankly, especially in Canada. Um, so I, I, I bring them in, in for Canada. people. Yeah, I can. I I, have a, I I get them from the states. Um, for well, men. That's good to know. Well, um, a lot of our followers are in the states, mm-hmm. but it also yeah. is helpful to mention that it's considered a medical device. So a lot of insurance plans will cover this device. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention one more thing um, about erections because another option too is penile injections. So intercavernosal injections. And so the erections can be temporarily restored. You, You know, initially you think for a man, I don't have a penis, but I mean, if I did, I'd be like, you know, cringeworthy injecting this into the base of the penis. But, um, but, you know, sex is a great motivator and these penile injections or intercavernosal injections induce blood flow into the penis. And that leads to an erection. So clinicians teach, um, you know, nurses and doctors can teach you how to do this. And a lot of men, uh, prefer this option. You know, I'm going to say like, like, I'm surprised there's no, um, you know, age or a particular type of person it's everyone's personal preference but between the vacuum therapy and the penile injection i couldn't tell you what man is going to prefer which Mm -hmm. you know so So but that's another option as well and then there's penile implants as well but that's i think a longer um you know down the way way down the road i think non-surgical and conservative options are so much better yeah i just for personal interest because i've always wondered about a penile implant and i know it was Mm -hmm. an option when we first were looking into um ED and all that kind of stuff. How can you, do you know anything about that? Can you explain it to us? Just, well, it's a little bit, um, at the end of the road, you know, kind of an end of the road option. I know men who have them, uh, it's a surgical technique. So you're going to have risks with that, with any kind of surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's typically a button or, you know, some type of device that will actually, um, you a know, button? T- yes. like to, yeah, oh, pre- and another part of the body to, um, 
bring the, you know, in to promote an erection, um, to, to fill it up. So, um, yeah, so, you know what, it's not, um, you know, it's not a hundred percent. It's, it's a, I think of it as a pretty significant, um, way to, get erections. I really think it's kind of end of the road, mm-hmm. um, for people. And it's certainly not something that you want to try early on. Okay. Um, they're devices that are placed inside of the penis, yes. um, and to allow men with erectile dysfunction to get an erection. So, um, they, and they're really, uh, to be used after, um, other options okay. for erectile dysfunction fail. Right. So there's the inflatable type and, um, yeah, and then there's another another type that I've heard from men that you know they and that this, the one man I'm thinking of it stopped working for him so oh. um, yeah so it's quite invasive and you know what it's very invasive when Dan and I when we were still on in rehab at GF Strong we actually uh, met up with the sexual health team because we wanted mm-hmm. more options and we saw something I I believe something similar to what you're speaking of and basically what it is is. <laughs> What I saw were these almost like tubes that that go into the shaft of the penis, and then there was mm-hmm. a button at the base of the penis that you press, and mm-hmm. apparently you squeeze the balls to deflate it. So that's why right. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but I remember Dan and I looking at each other like, holy crap, what is this thing all about? And he kind of looked at me and he saw the needles and then he saw this device and he was like, I guess we're never Mm -hmm. having sex again. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, and you know, the thing about those devices is that they're not going to do anything for conflict resolution or sexual desire or, um, you know, ED that's situational kind of a thing. Or if you have urinary tract infections, I wouldn't recommend that either. Okay, interesting. That's really good to know. Thank you for for letting us in on that because we and, and they won't increase sensation either. I, okay. I do want to make that point. They will not increase sensation. It's mm-hmm. functional, okay. right? And not to mention the complications that could come with that. That could also kind of prevent you from actually having a successful sexual mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, and with anything internal like that, you can get internal erosion, yeah. and so the implant might stick to the skin inside the penis or wear away from the skin. And you know, it rarely that might break through the skin, but it's rare. But it happens to you; it's a hundred percent. And you can get infections, of course. So, okay. um, you know, good yeah. to know. Um, we had a lot of questions about um, incorporating sex into your life for the first time. How do you start introducing that? How do you start introducing talking about having sex for the first time after the injury? What are your, what are your, what's your advice for that? Um, Because some people it's a sore subject, right? Okay. Okay. I think this is such a common thought for people, uh, you know, around sex, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? Oh, you know, can I have it again? And can Mm -hmm. I have children? And, you know, can this person have children? And, you know, is, is it going to be different? And, you know, I, I think we can't underestimate the value of that sexual attraction, that chemistry, you know, um, anxiety and nerves aside, there is still that attraction that you would have to somebody else. And, um, and so much like, uh, having sex for the first time with anyone ever, you know, it's, it's very similar. And so kind of accept that, um, you know, the best sex is the most varied sex, (laughs) if you will, you know, people, um, will complain about sex because they're bored in the bedroom and actually more women report boredom in the bedroom than men, according to research, but more men cheat according to a recent research study that I reviewed. Um, 
more men cheat because of lack of variety in the bedroom. So variety is important. And I think with a spinal cord injury, you actually have the option to bring more variety into um, sexuality. And, it, you know, it's really about open communication and touch and caressing and that connection and that love. And, you know, people have that desire on the inside of them. They have that attraction, that that sexuality, that sexual being that it is them. And, you know, it's it's okay to explore other areas at other erogenous zones where our body is full of erogenous zones. Does this feel good for you? Does that feel good for you? Are you feeling okay with this? Education is so important in this area so that people understand the risks and the pleasures and the benefits and, and what needs to change and what needs to be different. And so it's, again, it's just such a vast area, but, you know, try not to be afraid, know that you are lovable uh, understand that this may increase your, um, you know, your time and your enjoyment. Also, being mindful very important to being being mindful, incorporating mindfulness into the bedroom mm -hmm. um, to increase pleasure. Um, so it's it's you know we don't often talk about sex, and even couples who've been married for like thirty years don't talk about sex, and and some research supports that. So this is an opportunity to talk and to be open and, you know, to actually have a, a deeper connection with somebody ultimately. Very, very well said. And now speaking of exploration <laughs> and um, our, our last question here, we've saved the juiciest question to the end. <laughs> and um, so speaking of exploration, what are what are your views or not even necessarily your personal views, but. Um, anything that you've read through research, what what are some views on sexual surrogacy or bringing someone else into the bedroom to spice up your life or maybe somebody who does have function? Um, some people, you know, explore by being the person in the room who is viewing these sexual relations with their partner. Um, what are some of your views around that? Well, I don't think this is limited to people with spinal cord injury. I think this is an option for a lot of people who want to spice up their mm -hmm. sex lives. Mm -hmm. You know, sex and sexuality and uh, sexual variety and um, spicing it up uh, is, is really a personal preference. And so communication is critical, I think, with this. I think it's certainly an option for any couple. You know, threesomes are very popular. Um, but, you know, sometimes people, um, you know, want to bring somebody in um, because visual, you know, we're often quite visual people. And so you may want to watch your partner having sex with somebody else. There are some risks associated with that. There can be an emotional uh, tug, you know, to the other person or an attraction can develop or um, there is there is a risk that, you know, right. with the excitement and the pleasure. So there are certainly risks associated with it. It ha takes two very confident competent people to say, this is what we want. We are going to stick by um, these rules and regulations. And you want to establish all of that, uh, what you're the person is allowed to do with the other person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can't account for emotions. And sometimes that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes that um, takes over, you know, without, without understanding. And so if somebody's under a fair bit of stress, I would say I wouldn't uh, go that in that direction. If there are issues in the relationship, if people are particularly stressed, yeah. if people are, um, 
you know, having problems or people are exhausted or people aren't confident, don't have that self-confidence or they're not confidence or they're not self-actualized, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is a very small percentage of the population. So there's lots of risks, but, but certainly there have been lots of, um, great outcomes with that as well. Uh, and certainly has been shown to increase, um, the pleasure and the, um, strength, you know, the connection and the relationship as well. You know, anything you do together can bond you, if you will, Literally. pun intended. <laughs> Speaking of bonding. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, because I know that it doesn't really matter if you have a spinal cord injury or not. That's, you know, some some people this doesn't appeal to because it's their worst fear of someone mm-hmm. to be more attracted to the other person or wanting to have the threesome all the time. Um, exactly that, that emotional connection as well like you were speaking yeah. to you can't sometimes it's you know the saying you can't help who you love like you don't want your partner to skip away yeah into the right right with, with this new individual. right and i i always go with the conservative measures first mm-hmm. and so conservative measures are more so would be um you know investing in a chair you know a swing chair for example or investing in some wonderful cushions that are supportive mm-hmm. um, for different positions. Mm-hmm. So in my estimation, that's something I would go to before I would go to towards um, yeah. a sur- sex surrogate. Right. I also like the idea of making your bedroom into a place that you really want to be in. Mm -hmm. So investing in some like really nice sheets that are super comfortable, some amazing bedding Mm -hmm. that you feel sexy in. Um, You can't underestimate making your bedroom an oasis dedicated to sex. Uh, And so no television, beautiful candles, beautiful sheets, um, beautiful cushions, you know, and even if you get the supportive cushions, Mm -hmm. have them covered in beautiful fabrics, you know, silks and things, linens. Yeah, not Mm -hmm. medical, right? That's right. Absolutely. I also wanted to quickly um, touch base on mindfulness a little bit more for the caregiver and how, like, I wanted to touch base on how when you're just tired in general, Mm -hmm. what are some of your tips on reducing fatigue and incorporating sex into your life as far as just a mental thing for the caregiver who is also a lover? Mm-hmm. Caregiver fatigue and caregiver stress is very, very real. And it's important, um, you know, especially if you're a type A personality. So they're at great risk for doing it all and never doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, everything has to know, get done all at once. <laughs> that's right. They're going to do everything. They don't accept any help. And, and so accept help is the, is the one thing. Mm-hmm. Take an hour a day to yourself mm. and do nothing. And I mean nothing. And many people will say to me, well, can I, can I go for a walk? I'm like, no, no, no. You just sit and you do nothing. Your, wow. your brain needs to rest. Um, make sure you're getting adequate sleep, adequate exercise, take time for yourself to do the things that you enjoy. Um, have some time alone, have alone time, you know, understand your own sexuality, um, you know, bringing your own device into, um, the bedroom for a little afternoon delight for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, women forget, or they've never been taught that sex is for them too. Right. And so having their own quick pleasure, for example. So I often, cause time is of the essence. And so I often recommend the womanizer, which is a clitoral suckling device 
It, I, I prescribe it for women who have um, primary anorgasmia, so they've never experienced an orgasm. And that's another whole podcast, ladies, <laughs> orgasm for, uh, for women, but for caregivers um, in particular, because they may never have experienced an orgasm with this guy that they just met six months ago, right? Because a lot of women don't realize that you need clitoral stimulation in order to experience, 70% of women require clitoral stimulation in order to experience an orgasm. Mm-hmm. So the womanizer is a clitoral suckling device and women can experience an orgasm in, you know, 30 seconds, a couple of minutes. So, it's, you know, so it's fantastic. And, you know, I never liked the name of it until I realized we're reclaiming that name. Womanizer used to mean pain. Now it means pleasure. And so, you know, invest in something like that. Um, for yourselves as well. I think we're going to find these right away and give them out as as giveaways. Yes. Everybody who subscribes <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> That's a great recommendation because there's so many sex toys out there um, for women and that it's really hard to find. This know. is the only one I recommend in my clinical practice. It's the only one I have wow. on my website. Mm-hmm. Really? We're wow, that is getting... really, yes. really cool. That is really cool. Actually, we recently had a conversation with one of our wags who was saying, you know, I'm always with my partner, especially if they're a higher level injury that you don't really feel like you get that alone time. You know, this wag in particular is that I'm really, after my partner's injury, I've kind of been exploring more of these sex toys and things, but I'm really uncomfortable putting things on my body that are not my partner's penis. And so... Mm-hmm. And Brooke and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, you know, that's that's totally understandable if you've never had to before explore mm. these uh, areas of these devices and things um, that you don't have to put anything in your body that you don't want to. It's not mm-hmm. like you have to be doing this. So I think this is a really cool recommendation that you've given us here. Mm-hmm. Really uh, absolutely. You know, it's part of the uh, sexual oppression of women. We have uh, covert sexual oppression in North America and overt sexual oppression in other parts of the world. And so, you know, sex has been pegged as, you know, really for men. You know, and that's why I often say, you know, sex is for women, too. And and we rarely talk about pleasure uh, for women. So, again, it's one of those gifts that can come out of a spinal cord injury is that, you know, a woman can self-explore and, you know, perhaps utilize um, devices and, and, and sex toys and, you know, lingerie. And, you know, maybe she was too shy to do that before. And. And so it can be an opportunity to increase a woman's pleasure as well. And, and, you know, you become more sexual, you feel sexual, you feel sexy when, you know, when you've had an orgasm, more and more research is showing the health benefits of experiencing orgasm. And there's a lot of people I see on social media that are promoting, you know, the journey is just as good as the destination. You know, I don't think so. I think it's important that we educate women about arousal and the female sexual response cycle and and uh, plateau and orgasm. You know, orgasms are not just for men. Uh, and, and they certainly may change after spinal cord injury, but they may not as well. They may just be different. So, but it's important for both. Sex is mutual when it's with one other person or, you know, um, if there's three or four, then it's, yeah. you know, for everybody. So, <laughs> but it's not just for one person in that couple. Mm-hmm. Very, very well said. And another piece to that, going back to that self-care, self-love is, you know, go out and buy yourself those sexy underwear just for yourself. You don't necessarily need to be buying things for other people's pleasure, but more for yourself. Like for instance, 
Um, when I first became kind of single and lived on my own, my favorite thing to do was to go out and buy fun nighties literally for myself. Mm. I would never mm-hmm. have anybody else to show except for sitting on your couch, having that mm-hmm. cup of coffee and feeling good in your own skin and taking care of yourself. You know, pour, you know, running that bubble bath for yourself, pour that tea or glass of wine or whatever you need and taking that time for yourself to really reconnect your mind and your body with yourself and getting to know yourself a little bit deeper every time you do this. Totally. And I say, you know, for women, um, you know, feel good all under, you know, Mm -hmm. treat yourself. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but Mm -hmm. buy beautiful bras and underwear. And, you know, you know that that's what you're like all under. It's your secret. And it just makes you feel that much sexier and that much better about yourself. And you're worth it. Yeah. And just think about, Elena, how much, you know, how much better you feel when you're wearing the clothes that you want to wear, the undergarments you want to wear and how it just, it brings that energetic feeling of happiness and sexiness that, you know, no one else can really tell but you. And it just brings that vibrance back to your life. So little things like that is so, so, so important when you're trying to just be sexier in your own mind, right? Mm -hmm. Especially as a caregiver, when you're tired and I've noticed this from my own personal perspective, is that, you know, Dan is always laughing because he's like, where are all my socks? I've been stealing his T-shirts, his socks and things like that, because sometimes I'm just too tired to find my things and and just the shambles. But that's something I'm going to be challenging myself and everybody else listening um, to this podcast is take that time to go buy yourself some sexy undies Mm -hmm. and some matching socks. Yeah. And even if you're just going to bed in it every (laughs) night, it still makes you feel a little bit better instead of grabbing his baggy shirt which I'm guilty of all the time. And my husband gives me a hard time about this. It's like, oh, you're wearing my baggy clothes They're again. like, where are my clean t-shirts? <laughs> well, I wore it to bed. Them. Yeah, I think it's very common. It is. And something else I want to mention here is a lot of women would feel guilt about looking after themselves. Mm. Yes. Guilt is such a wasted emotion. And they may have, I've had patients say to me, you know, I feel so badly because, you know, my partner's situation is so dire, you know, but it's not necessarily so dire. You know, they may have adapted or like my life is, you know, was easier than their life. Mm-hmm. And, and so they feel guilty about taking those pleasures. But, but really, uh, it's important to take those pleasures because taking that time to yourself, being the best you can be too as a caregiver, will ultimately benefit the couple. 100%. And yeah. that partner, when you feel good about taking care of yourself, you're going to be in a better mood, more pleasant. You're going to feel rested by taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. also adding that value back to you, especially after spinal cord injury. God knows, we all know that everything is around the patient, the injured patient. And like Brooke and I were saying this morning, you're always on that on switch. You're always just ready to jump up, hop up, do mm-hmm. everything for that person because you, you know, you believe that they're still kind of in that initial um, SCI mode where it just happens. So you're constantly ready to jump up and do everything for them. But sometimes it's really, really good to be mindful and step back and be like, what about me? How about how about I start kind of, you know, wake up and jump up like that for myself and go get some exercise or go get a latte or Mm -hmm. whatever. Read a book. Why don't I jump up like that for myself? Yeah. Mm Self-care. Yeah. And even self-love. Yeah. (laughs) Just allowing yourself even that little thought into your mind will change your perspective slightly and you start Mm -hmm. to see things differently. Mm -hmm. And even those women that are like, I just don't have time for this. I can't imagine doing this because, you know, the the men that need a lot of care, higher level 
quads that have, you know, vents and they need a lot of supervision. These, you know, some women are like, I just can't do this. But then you see some other women who are like, yeah, of course I do this. I make this work for me. It's a perspective mm-hmm. thing, right? But you, you know, again, you want to take good care of yourselves. And you ladies are doing a great job and you sound amazing um, and full of life. So um, well, Vibrant C can be a part of life after SCI. A hundred percent. And thank you so much for coming on today, Maureen, and giving us this plethora of information that we cannot wait to go back, rewind, listen to yeah. all over again, take all your juicy deets and notes down. And thank you so, so much for coming on today and taking time out of your very busy schedule. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me. And if anybody wants more information on Maureen, please visit our website at maureenmcgrath.com. Thank you so much again and tune in next week for a new episode of the Wags of SCI podcast.